Welcome to Under the Blanket with your host, Baba, here, love. And here and now, we are under the blanket of Miraji, deep within his heart. And there we see all is one. As he used to say, sub-X, which means all is one. And I have a regular guest host that I have on the show, Jagadesh. You may remember him. Rum, rum. We're going to read about some saints and some stories like we usually do and go off on subjects that relate to what we read. So Jagadesh is going to start us out with a Ramana Maharshi book. And first, tell us a little bit about Ramana if you want to. Yeah, well, uh, hey, hello. Uh, yeah, I uh, had the idea because, you know, um, Maharaji being a guru and such a great uh, saint and doing all these miracles and stuff. And, you know, Ramdas and all the, the, the guys who were devotees of uh, Maharaji in the, in the 60s, uh, they, I mean, most Maharaji devotees kind of have something from Ramana Maharshi, too. Um, he was another great saint. Uh, he lived, uh, well, who knows when Maharaji was born? Nobody really knows. But uh, he was a little bit before Maharaji, although their times overlap together. And one little interesting thing that's in the book of Miracle Love is when Ramana Maharshi apparently left his body, uh, uh, Maharaji was somewhere off in India, far, far away from Ramana. And he stood straight up and a tear rolled down his cheek. And he said, India has just lost one of their greatest saints ever. So um, that's a powerful message from Maharaji that Ramana was the, the authentic real deal. And he in Ramana, like you asked about Ramana, he's a he's practiced Gyana Yogi. He's a Gyana Yoga uh, guy, he, that, which is the, the knowledge of um, the, the true knowledge of the true self. Um, and, you know, his practices is he recommended going directly to God through self-inquiry and saying, you know, uh, he'd always say, ask, when people ask him questions, he would <laughs> say, uh, who's asking the question? And and his, his methods were different than Maharaji's, although Maharaji uh, did, you know, had overtones of, of that too at moments, but uh, Ramana was all about that. So uh, we're going to just open up to a random page. It's usually question and answer format. And uh, we'll just see uh, if we find something that. Wait a second. I just want to tell everybody how Ramana got enlightened. You know, how he became a realized being. He was like 15, 17. And he was reading about mystics in his uncle's library or something. And he just laid down and uh, imagined he was dying. And uh, was laying down stiff like a corpse. And he actually held his breath and was uh, determined, fully determined to find out who he was. He was willing to accept if he was the body and probably die at that point. But he went deeper. And what happened when he held his breath as he went to the self, he realized himself, he realized he's not the body, he is consciousness, cosmic consciousness. And from that moment on, they say he was a fully realized being. And he went through quite a journey and ended up as a respected saint in India. Mm. So, Jagadesh, take it away. Yeah, thanks for that. Okay. Well, rum, rum. Okay, so it's November 9th, 1936. Mr. Cohen, what is will? I mean, where does it fit in? In the five koshas. 
Maharishi, sorry. The I thought arises first and then all other thoughts. They comprise the mind. The mind is the object and the I is the subject. Can there be will without the I? It is comprised in the I. The I thought is the Vijnanamaya kosha, intellectual sheath. Will is included in it. Anamaya kosha is the gross body sheath, the senses with the prana and the karmendriyas form the pranamaya kosha, sense sheath. The senses with the mind form the manomaya kosha, mind sheath. They are the jnanendriyas. The mind is formed of thoughts only. Idam, this, is the object, and aham, I, is the subject. The two together form the Gyanamaya Kosha, intellect sheath. Um, that was it for that small segment. Um, I mean, do you want me to read that over? It's pretty deep. It's kind of... <laughs> no, 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 no. Just take, just explain it in layman's terms to my listeners, to our listeners. Okay, so uh, Mr. Cohen, which I believe was one of... I, I think he was one of the first Western devotees of Ramana. I'm not 100% sure, but he wrote a book and kind of brought Ramana's teachings back to the West to a few select through few. And he's asking this question, what is will? It's a huge question, right? He's And he says, I mean, where does it fit in in the five koshas? Now, the koshas, I guess, in, in Hindu uh, science are sheaths, you know, um, and Ramana obviously had some um, internal experience because he wasn't a well-studied man, but when you reach this level, I guess these, these sciences are understood. So he was explaining, um, the, that the I is the first thing that arises, um, regardless of other thoughts. So his main practice was to inquire, who am I? So that's something to note, but, um, so this, it arises first and then all other thoughts, the thought, the sense of I being like me, 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 you know, and, and, and then he's saying uh, the sheaths com comprise the mind. The mind is, no, he doesn't say that they comprise the mind. The mind is the object and I is the subject. Okay, so the mind is the object and I is the subject. Um, so the mind is the can there be will without the eye? It is comprised in the eye. So he's basically saying that the eye is uh, this Vijnanamayi kosha, which is a sheath, the intellectual sheath. So, um, yeah, it, and then he talks about the gross sheath um, and the sense sheath. And the mind sheath, and the mind is formed of thoughts only. So, this is the object of I is the subject. Yeah, and uh, what I take my take on that is I thought of something Ramdas said when he was giving lectures about the Bhagavad Gita. He was talking about the practice of the witness. Now, the witness 
ideally is beyond the mind, is beyond the eye, is in the silent being that witnesses everything eternally, that sees from total contentment, bliss, love. Like Ram Dass says, I am loving awareness. This would be the loving awareness. But sometimes people can't get quite to that level beginning in their practice. So they have to find a witness that's actually still like a sheath of uh, mind, like Ramana Harshi called uh, the eye. So the eye uh, part of that that arises in thought is can be like a witness, witnessing uh, calmly the, the other thoughts. But it still is, in fact, a sheath of the mind. Like you said, in the ultimate self, there is no I, there is no you, there is no none of it. It is silence. And Ramana Harshi would go in to how you even have to get up, give up the I thought. Even though you use it to a certain point, you seek it, you ask, who am I? You go to find the source of the I thought. Eventually, in fact, the last step is giving that up. So oftentimes people working with the witness practice can use that sheath and they witness from a different, from the I thought, all their thoughts arise and they're able to, you know, do their practice that way, but because they haven't quite got to the deeper witness, mm-hmm. you know, and that's an issue that uh, Ram Dass uh, went into great detail in this great lecture series about the Bhagavad Gita. And he mm-hmm. uh, mentioned Ramana Harshi in that lecture series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the biggest thing I get out of this without talking like about it like like in a complex way is like he says that two things that caught my mind, the mind is formed of thoughts only. So the mind when it's when it's when it's left free of thoughts, um I guess you're saying how can there be a will? It's just all the will, the will of the one. But when it, when thoughts are distracted, you don't know you're the one. And the other thing he says is the I thought arises first and then all the other thoughts. So we can only think one thing at a time, but it always starts with that impulse, like I have to get out of bed, I have to do my laundry, I have to eat some food. And it's very subtle. In my experience, like I have practiced some self-inquiry, it kind of came spontaneously to me once. It was a gift from Ramani, I felt, but it came from being in the moment and listening to some Eckhart Tolle, but it was like, who am I, who am I? But I did notice that every time it was like every time I started to think I'd have to draw back who am I and trace that thought back to, you know, not let it go rampant, not let it start running amok and all these other thoughts coming in. But just like every single thought, it's like you have the awareness, you know, practicing that awareness. And yeah, that's a practice until you actually become what you really are and understand it and embody it. But like it does start with the practice of like, really where is this thought coming from like you know and it's just it's it's not even real ultimately it's just in the head you know it's not even here now it's just so yeah it's it's pretty deep ramana was pretty deep and like you said like he a lot of people weren't ready and for his teachings but he was such a great saint that he could actually just by sitting in silence with somebody give all the teachings he needed to give and he said the greatest teaching was silence. Yes, so. yes. And I'd like to, that made me think of a memory. And someone requested, as a, a avid listener of my podcast, that I tell more stories in relationship, personal stories, to what we're talking about. So I thought of one. One time I, I peaked on acid once, and I got into that state of oneness. I was the self. I wasn't thinking, I am God. I was just being one with God. 
total silence. The issue became, as I started to come down from the chemical effect, I felt myself losing that high state of being, the usual come down that comes with psychedelics. But I was determined not to that time to let it do that. Uh. So I closed my eyes. I turned off the lights. I went in silent darkness as I was coming way down. And I said, I'm not going to let this uh, impediment stop my practice. And I, pra- I decided to do self-inquiry. And what I did was I turned all my senses inward, my eye, my touch. All my senses were directed inward. And often our senses are always going out, 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 out. But I went in, in, in. And I kept repeating to myself, who am I? Who am I? And I was determined. I was relentless. I was like Ramakrishna when he said, desire God like a drowning man's desiring air. Uh-huh. I was wanting it that much. So I yeah. just like, and I did it in a relaxed way. I said, who am I? Who am I? Eventually, the come down didn't matter. I got into that state again. The question faded away. The I thought faded away. And it ended up uh, integrating into my daily life more than a come down feeling. Mm. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, it's, it's truly one of the, the greatest practices. You know, they're all meant to bring us to that silence. And Ramana would say this is the direct route. He would say it's inquiring into who the self is. But, you know, like anything, it takes practice and it takes, you know, for most people, it takes practice. Ramana, he just laid down and it was his karma from past lives or something. And all of a sudden, a young boy, he had this experience of like, what if I really died? What would happen? And he and his genuine persistence and curiosity of really wanting to know the answer he became completely illuminated and took off and was drawn to the sacred mountain called Arunachala many, many hours away. And he ran away from home <laughs> and meditated in caves until bugs started to eat him, until some people realized what a great saint he was and brought him up to, you know, and started worshiping him. And, you know, he was oblivious to the outer world for like, I don't know how long, months upon months, like literally bugs were eating this man. And he was so in samadhi that he didn't even know. And then he came back back to give his teachings off. So we're lucky in that respect that, you know, he, and he uh, he had a lot of answers for a lot of questions, but they always re- redirected to who's asking the question. <laughs> well, 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 then let's keep to Ramana Maharshi then. Let's do another Ramana. Okay. Yeah, I'm just feeling him right now. I feel his presence right now. And I feel he wants us to focus on him. For this episode, go with a Ramana. All right, Ramana it is. Ram, Ram, Ramana. Do, 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 do. B, 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 B. Okay. 1937. Once on a cold day, Sri Bhagavan was sitting in a cave on the hill with his hands folded on his breast as a protection against the cold. Some Undar visitor had come. He broke a coconut and poured the cold juice on Sri Bhagavan's head in Abhishekha, offering it to a sacred image. Sri Bhagavan was surprised. A visitor asked, while making Namajapa, and after continuing it for an hour or more, I fall into a sleep-like state. On waking, I recollect that my japa has been interrupted, so I proceed again. 
So japa means chanting the name of God. Okay. And Brahmana, Ramana, like sleep, that is right. It is the natural state. Because you are now associated with the ego, you consider the natural state to be something which interrupts your work. You must repeat the experience until you realize that it is your natural state. You will then find that japa, etc., is extraneous. Still, it will be going on automatically. Your present doubt is due to the false identity. Japa means clinging to one thought to the exclusion of all other thoughts. This is the purpose of japa. It leads to dhyana, which ends in self-realization. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, you know, it's funny. It was mentioned about sleep. Uh, oftentimes you ask someone, what was your sleep like? And they talk about their dreams and so on, or they don't remember anything. The issue is when someone asks deep sleep, you know, people say, well, I don't remember anything. I was unconscious. And they did sleep studies where uh, very, very few people had any sort of memory of deep sleep. But certain Tibetan monks who did lucid dreaming practices and studied sleep for their whole lives were dedicated to studying sleep and dreams, not through a laboratory, but through all these techniques. They were called dream yogis. I actually read a book by one of them, a lama. And you know what they realized was with the same thing Ramana knew, is that in deep sleep, we enter the self. We really are in our natural state. Now, are, is it conscious? Is it unconscious? Well, it's conscious in the ultimate conscious sense. You know, but that experience is so powerful that when we go back into the astral dream planes and we wake up, it's like that experience never happened. We think we are mm -hmm. unconscious. We imagine when we die, it will be like going to sleep forever or something like that but if we knew what it was like in deep sleep which i have had vague memories of it it's light it's bliss it's no thought there's no external world it's beautiful now why don't if the, the question would be why don't we get enlightened if we go to sleep every night and experience this uh self the issue is what like ramana said you must merge waking consciousness with deep sleep it's the dichotomy of all these different states of consciousness, deep sleep, dreaming, waking state, meditation. The dichotomy of all that causes us to falsely identify and thus the issue. But he did say in some of his talks that if you are able to see deep sleep and waking consciousness are the same, there's a thread of the self running through all these states of consciousness, mm -hmm. then you are able to achieve fully realized being. So it's, but it is a nice thing to even if you don't believe in this or you haven't experienced it or anything like that, just imagine that every night when you go to sleep, you get to experience the self. Just yeah. wouldn't that be very kind of God to throw it in a little break now and then, you know? And when yeah. people have a deep sleep, they often wake up feeling refreshed and so on. Yeah, I always find that interesting too because, like, you know everybody needs sleep they've tried to keep people up and they've kept them up for a long times but people start to hallucinate and all sorts of weird stuff happens when you're not you know practicing yoga and not sleeping or meditation maybe but like we need to recharge as humans and how we recharge is we go back to our true selves every night for some portion of the night and that's how the body heals like we heal quicker when we sleep it's because we need that that recharge from the self 
But yeah, I, I like, and what I like, and I think this is a big misconception about Ramana, although he taught self-inquiry as his main practice to, to most, but he also, he never, he never said like, this guy's talking about Japa, so say Japa's chanting the name of Ram. So he always, I always hear him say this, he never says it's a bad thing. He says it will lead to self-realization. He says, Japa is clinging to one thought and the exclusion of all other thoughts. That is the purpose of Japa. It leads to dhyana, which is meditation, which leads to self-realization. So if you're persistent with that as the same as if you're persistent with who am I, it really leads to the same place. And it's it's, it's quite interesting, but it's like, you know, um, yeah, and he's talking about, you know, this, this guy was going to sleep after con- saying Japa. He'd fall asleep and then he'd wake up and... And you'd realize it was interrupted and you start saying it again. Um, and, it, you know, Ramana said, like sleep, that is right. It's the natural state um, because you're now associated with the ego. You consider the natural state to be something that interrupts your work. OK, so like if you're saying Japa and you go go into sleep. It's not supposed to interrupt your work. Like you said, you're supposed to merge. And I can just imagine like. And, you know, I had glimpses of merging with that deep sleep consciousness is a relaxed state. It's like the body is relaxed and healing. And most people are running around and me too at times in anxious hurry and like, oh, I got to do this or have some work. That's not a relaxed state. The relaxed state, you can work. You can don't let it interrupt your work. But everything's yoga. Everything's union with God. You know, everything is the practice of that. So that's what we're really trying to achieve you know is a constant unbroken state of uh, and it becomes effortless but it takes practice until it becomes effortless from you know i mean in in my personal experience i've thought i you know was completely illuminated which i am (laughs) you know ultimately you know completely realized but the thing is is like it 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 faded because and then when it fades you it feel it feels like on the manifest level that something has to be done about it that you have to redirect your energy back to realization okay so it's not like getting caught in the smelling the flowers along the path you know we get caught in our old experiences so much sometimes on the spiritual path that we can't appreciate the present moment in all its glory and that actually craving for those past experiences and those past highs it keeps us from experiencing the peace now, you know? Oh, and, yeah. uh, um, Ram Dass called it collecting butterflies of yeah. here now. It's like a lot of people, especially with Facebook now, we almost have like on the spiritual path, you know, all these different butterflies. I got, I had this experience on psychedelics. I had this experience in meditation. The other night I was so present. I spent a month once where I was so present. And you have this story in your head of all these past butterflies and they're dead butterflies. What about the living moment of the butterfly now? If those past butterflies aren't getting you here now, they are an impediment to the past. Mm, Yeah. Any resistance, any resistance to what happens in the present moment is taking you away from experiencing the beauty, even when it's great suffering. And that's most important is when it's great suffering on the physical or the emotional plane, you know, there's suffering happening, that's when the resistance has to be dropped and we have to accept. And and only through genuine acceptance will we get free of whatever is causing suffering. 
there's no amount of worry in the world that's going to help us. You know, it's not, you know, it's doesn't work that way. (laughs) Yeah. It only takes a story, dude. You mind if I tell it? Oh, go ahead. All right. So Ramana, when he was dying of throat cancer, and you might say, well, he was a great saint. Couldn't he have removed the throat cancer? In fact, he was asked that. And he said, this body's worn up. And it was interesting, you know, because that helps people that have health problems that have to die in age like all of us. You know, that, you know, that's not an impediment to the path, even though he had throat cancer and he was getting weak and aging and dying. He wasn't identified with it. It didn't bother him at all. You right. know? In fact, when he was dying, a lot of his devotees were extremely attached to his form, extremely dependent on the guy on the tucket. You know, and his silence and his beauty and how he would be with cows and like the cows would love him and hang out with monkeys. And they just love being at Aranuchella and hanging around that place. And they were like, Bhagavan, don't leave us. And he said this, where could I go? I am here. Yeah. yeah I don't know if it was, I think, I well. I get confused. I can't quite remember, but I think uh, Ramakrishna had throat cancer, and Ramana started off in his arm, but it spread out through his body, and eventually. Oh, I'm sorry about that. No, that's all right. I just wanted to clarify. I mean, I think that's I think that's how it was, but yeah, Ramakrishna in Ramakrishna, I believe, said something similar. Um, Ramakrishna was a little different, but uh, he, you know, people asked him to heal heal himself, and he said, if it's the mother's will, you know, because he was a big bhakti of Kali. He's like, if it's if it's her will, I'll be healed. And he's like, he, he wasn't worried about it. In other words, he's like, well, if it's not meant to be, it's not meant to be. You know, everybody's begging him to heal himself. And, and Ramana, too. And what was really cool about Ramana, another little story about when he did leave his body, like it was like some comet that comes by or some big shooting star. Right. Um, right. When he left his body shot across the sky, like right after he took his last breath, it was seen from like hundreds and hundreds of miles, this star. So I thought that was pretty cool. And then people say, well, Ramana, don't leave. He's like, where could I go? (laughs) From his perspective, he's like, go, what do you mean leave? What are you talking about? (laughs) Yeah, it's a a funny story when you really get what he means. We're We're all here now. We're here. You know, where could we go? We can't, you know, that's all Maya. And uh, we're coming near the end of the show. And this has been Under the Blanket with your host, Baba Love and guest host, Jagadesh. And we've been talking about Rama Maharshi. So send us out with a little chant, a little one, short one. Um, okay, uh, let's just do some uh, mother. Om Sarvamangara Mangaya Shivesavada Sadike. Savranye Trambake Devi Narayani Namostudim Shanti 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 Shigurubyo Namaha Harivum Ram Ram <laughs>